Now, as Allie mentioned, we are kicking off a brand new sermon series today. And so you are at the beginning of a journey that's going to last all summer long. And all summer, we're going to be talking about one thing, what it looks like to reclaim, rediscover, and maybe revitalize this faith that we hold, our Wesleyan Methodist heritage. It's not just something that fits in a book that goes on a shelf that we say, oh yeah, once upon a time, this was true. It's supposed to be the life, the effervescence, the vitality that we experience day in, day out, year in, year out here at the church. It's not just something that we believe happened once upon a time, but something that is supposed to continue to be happening both here in this place and in our hearts. And so really the goal is to look back, to mine the best of our Methodist and Wesleyan heritage and figure out what does it look like to rediscover and bring it, it back into the present so that we can live it out in the future. That's, that's the goal. For the next nine weeks, this is what we're going to be doing. And what it means is that some weeks we're going to be getting really heavy into some of the historical aspects of the Methodist movement. On other weeks, it means that we're going to be diving more deeply into kind of the theology and kind of digging into kind of some of the terms and some of the concepts and unpacking what that means and should look like in our life. But today, today's really just kind of like an appetizer. I'm just going to wet the palate just a little bit for us this morning because we're going to just look at really what the whole goal of this Methodist movement was really all about and why I think there's a place for it to continue to do what it originally did over 200 years ago. And so Allie named a little bit of the story of the beginning of Methodism, but let me just recap it for us. What happened was in the 1700s, in the 18th century, there were two brothers, John and Charles Wesley. They were Anglican priests. And they begin to observe the Church of England and recognize that it had lost all of the spiritual vitality, all of the power, all of the um, activity that a church is supposed to be engaged in. It had the form of religion. It looked like it was supposed to look like the buildings, the robes. It had all of the rituals, but there was no energy. There was no power to any of it. And they said, this isn't the, the way that it's supposed to be. We need to figure out how we can renew our faith, how we can renew our practice of this faith so that there's actually something here. There's something that we can engage in. There's something that's supposed to do something inside of us and in people's lives and in our society and in our world. It's not just something that we show up to one hour on a Sunday and we go home and then we never think about it and it's never a part of our life. It's something that totally transforms our hearts, our minds, our lives, and ultimately it transforms the world. This is what John and Charles said. They look around and they say, why is this no longer happening? What have we forgotten? Where did we lose the plot? And they begin a process of trying to rediscover that type of scriptural vitality and spiritual energy that the early church possessed. And if you were here last week, we celebrated Pentecost. We talked about that moment when the Holy Spirit comes upon that first group of believers and it fills them with energy and power. And then 
the church takes off. And John and Charles Wesley said, we want that. Like, we, we want that. And that's why for the next nine weeks we're going to be talking about this, because I want that. And my hope is that you want that. That you want something that actually makes a difference in your life. Not just something that looks good on paper or was once true in a book that's on a shelf, but something that transforms the way that we live and transforms our relationships and transforms our friendships and society. This is what we're after. But see, what John and Charles Wesley experienced and the loss of the plot, the kind of the apathy that existed in their church and in the Church of England wasn't a new problem. It wasn't a new dynamic that just occurred in the 18th century. No, this is something that has been happening in the relationship with God and and his people for thousands of years. And in fact, what you see from the moment that God establishes his people, the people of Israel, there starts to be this kind of push and pull between here's what you're supposed to do and if you do what you're supposed to do, you will have this life and vitality and energy and enthusiasm and it will go well with you and your descendants. And then people struggle to maintain what it is that they're supposed to be doing, the things that they're supposed to be adhering to, the way that they're supposed to be living. They lose that and they experience kind of the, the deadness, the lack of energy and enthusiasm The spirit seems to go out of the balloon. And then once again, somebody comes along and says, no, 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 we got to come back to what we originally did at first. We have to return to the basics, to the essentials, to the core of our faith. And then all of a sudden they're renewed with all of this energy and vitality and around and around and around this cycle goes. And you can read about it through the pages of history and through the pages of scripture. And this is actually one of the final things that we see recorded in Scripture. If you look at the book of Revelation, there's a passage where the writer of Revelation, John, is writing to seven churches. And Revelation uh, functions similarly to a Christmas carol. You know how a Christmas carol works? There's a ghost of past, present, and future. And the ghost of future says, if you continue to live this way, this is what's going to happen to you, Ebenezer. This is what John is doing in the section of Revelation where he's writing to the churches. He says, listen, if you continue to live this way, as a church, if you continue to operate in this way, let me just show you kind of a crystal ball of what's going to happen to you in the future. So let me point out one thing that John writes to the church in Ephesus. This is what he says. He says, you're doing some of these things good, but let me, I've got a, I've got a, a bit of a critique for you. And this is what he says in Revelation 2. He says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. You can start to see this kind of pattern. You have to remember what it was that you did at first. Then you have to repent. You have to reorient your life and your heart and your mind towards the way that you used to do it. And then you have to actually go and do the works that you did at first. This is what we see John telling the church at Ephesus. This is what you need to be doing. You've lost the plot. Remember what it used to be. Repent, reorient, and then actually go and put it into practice. This was true 
When John was writing to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, this is true for John and Charles Wesley about the church of England that they tried to renew. And if we're being honest today, this is true about much of formal religion that we see all around us. And so the reason that we're doing this series is not so that you know more about Methodism than you did when we started. Just having that information doesn't help anybody. You could read a history book and you'd get the same access to it. The goal is not to make you smarter. The goal is to help us become a church that is filled with the Spirit, that is renewed according to the core tenets of our faith, that we hold fast to the essentials so that we have the same spiritual vitality and power and energy that the very first church had, that the Methodist renewal movement had in the 18th century. That's the goal, to help us figure out how we do this now, not just to know what they did back then. This is in writing about kind of the Methodist movement. John Wesley kind of has a similar approach that John has when he was writing in the book of Revelation. He says, here's what's going to happen in the future if you don't pay attention. This is what John Wesley says. He says, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist, either in Europe or America. But I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. John and Charles Wesley never set out to start a new denomination. They never set out to break away from the Church of England. That was never the goal. The goal was renewal. The goal was revival. The goal was to try to get the Church of England's attention and say, pay attention and wake up. You have lost the plot of what we're trying to do here. There is no power in this anymore. We just are going through the motions. And John Wesley says, the same will be true for the movement called Methodism. He says, it should only exist. This is his fear, that it should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. Without commentary on the rest of Methodism, this will not be the case here. It just won't be. Allie and I are too committed to figuring out how we discover and rediscover the original power of this movement so that here in this place, if nowhere else, we're not just a form of religion. Now, this is what John Wesley says after. And this is the key to making sure this doesn't come to pass. He says, and this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, the spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. If you want to make sure that you don't just become the form of religion without the power, the only way to accomplish that is to hold fast to doctrine, to spirit, and discipline with which we first set out. This is the same words in different language that John says to the church in Ephesus. Remember the love that you had at first. Repent, reorient, and then do what you did at the very beginning. It's the same story. It's a different chapter. 
doctrine, spirit, and discipline. This is what we're going to look at for the next eight weeks. What is the doctrine of this early movement? What was the spirit, the essence, the passion of this early movement? And what were the disciplines that they were committed to that allowed them to experience the power of renewal and revival in their time and place? so that it may be true and so for us. Now, when John Wesley used those words, doctrine, spirit, and discipline, this was what he was talking about. Doctrine. What is it that we believe? Not just these things that we intellectually assent to, not just these pieces of knowledge, but what are we committing our lives to? That word belief, as used in Scripture, is more closely related to this idea of trust. What are we staking our lives on? What truths? What principles? What ways of understanding how God is at work in the world and is calling us to be at work in the world are we committed to? What do we hold on to? Not just what do we know to be true, not just a set of intellectual criteria that feels accurate. And for John Wesley, the essence of Methodist doctrine what John Wesley would call the grand depositum, the thing that John Wesley would name and say, this is the reason that Methodists exist, which we'll get into next week, is the doctrine of entire sanctification. And this might be the thing that distinguishes Methodism from all other Christian denominations. The doctrine of entire sanctification means that God's grace is at work in our life from long before we're aware of it, bringing us all the way to Christian perfection. It means that what happens in our life is not just that we're saved from the pits of hell. That's not where the story ends for us. It means that we can go on to become like Christ, which means that our entire lives can be transformed and changed. It doesn't just mean freedom from hell, but it means freedom from sin day in and day out. This is the salvation that we experience in this life. That God's grace can so work thoroughly and completely through us that our lives can totally be transformed and changed. This is different than what other Christian denominations believe. Some believe that there's just a moment of salvation where you begin to claim Christ as your own and that marks the end of the story for you. You've accepted Christ, period, done, story over. John Wesley says, no, it's far better than that. There is a glorious revitalization and transformation that we can experience in this life. That every day we can become closer and closer and closer to the person of Christ. And that's what is such great news. That is the best part of the gospel. They would say that the rest of the gospel is the best part of the gospel. Not just that we're saved, but that we can become transformed. This is the doctrine. This is what we believe at its very essence. There's more to it, and we'll get to that in future weeks. But when John Wesley says doctrine, he is talking about what we believe and hold fast to that we attempt to live out. And this is what moves us into the spirit, which is describing how we live. It describes kind of the effects 
of the process of sanctification in our lives. It means the transformation of our hearts and our minds. This is what John is referring to when he says repent. It means transformation, metamorphosis, from caterpillar to butterfly. It means that the way that we love looks different. The way that we're able to be more kind, more gracious, more benevolent, more charitable, more generous. It's the embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, gentleness, self-control. There's supposed to be seven of them. I think that was eight. (laughs) It's not just like something that you find crocheted on a pillow. That's not what it's supposed to be or on a coffee mug. John Wesley says, no, no, there's a spirit that we have to adhere to. There's a way to live our life that is tangibly different than the way that we lived before. This is why in scripture it talks about you are a new creation in Christ. There are new possibilities. There are new opportunities to live differently today than the way that you have lived previously. This is what John Wesley was after. The goodness of the grace of God at work in your life transforms your life. And we have to remember that. We have, a, have to pay attention to what that is supposed to look like, the way that we are made more perfect in love, the way that we love God, the way that we love others. This is what John Wesley's naming. And then the last is the discipline. So if doctrine is what we believe, and if spirit is how we live, discipline is what we do. These were the three general rules that Ali named, but didn't name them as such. Do no harm. Do all the good you can. And then attend upon the ordinances of God. These are the things that God tells us to do, the tools, the resources that God gives us to draw more closely to God. It's prayer and it's scripture and it's fellowship and conversation with other believers. And it's the sacraments. This was essential for John Wesley because he recognized that particularly in the sacrament of Holy Communion, this was the mechanism by which God instills these things in us and transforms our hearts and our minds and our lives. In fact, John Wesley puts it this way. Talking about Holy Communion, he says, it is the chief means to which God is employed to confirm our faith, doctrine, it's what we believe, to draw us to himself to soften our hearts, spirit, how we live, and thereby amend our lives. Discipline, what we do. Confirm our faith, draw us to himself to soften our hearts and to mend our lives. If we want to make sure that we don't end up as just some form of religion, just playing a part, going through the motions without any tangible power or difference in our life, then we'll just ignore the next eight weeks. We won't dig into what we're actually talking about. But if we want something different, if we want a spiritual power and vitality here in this place and here in our lives so that we can take it out into the world, then we have to commit ourselves and we have to hold fast to the essential tenets of doctrine, spirit, and discipline. And according to John Wesley, the best way to start is Holy Communion. And so I'm glad that this morning 
we're gathered together. We're going to invite you forward so that we can begin this journey and this process together. There is power and there is transformation that is possible in this Christian life. And we are all invited to participate in it. Friends, let me pray for us. Heavenly God, you have been calling your people to you from the very beginning. Remind us once again what it means to live in relationship with you, to live in obedience to your will and your way, to hold fast to the doctrine and the beliefs that anchor us in you, to be committed to the renewal of our spirit, to live out those beliefs and to hold fast to the doctrine and the discipline to anchor them into our practice and habit of life. God, thank you that we get to go on this journey together. Guide us, lead us, and fill us with your spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.